My handle is Jonathan Blade. Welcome to my podcast. In September of 1999, I did my first stand-up comedy set. I saw an old friend doing it, and I thought, I can do this too. So I did, and it went extraordinarily well, and after that, I probably didn't have another good set for a year. But the initial rush kept me at it. Through stand-up, many doors were open, and the world of entertainment and creation became an open door for me. And I made, or was involved in, so many creative projects. Throughout my experience, even when I was finally starting to make more than drinking money, I never had the drive or the confidence to believe that my passions could be my thing. That there were any possibilities that I could wholly immerse myself in my creativity and live as a creative. Today's guest is someone who doesn't listen to his internal no. I met him through stand-up, but he is a renaissance man of creativity. He is not only a working stand-up comedian, but he is a working professional actor. He has released albums, he publishes a brilliant independent comic book, he has two podcasts, Beyond a Possible Future, the Corey Marshall School of Modern Dance. There seems to be no aspect of expression that has made my guests say, nah, that's not my bag. <laughs> Please welcome my friend, Corey Marshall. Welcome, Corey. Hello. <laughs> Thanks so much for that introduction. Uh, I, I'm going to keep that. Hey, you deserve and, uh, it, man. I, I, I'm, and I'm going to replay that when I need to hear it. I mean, you've been out there grinding, and I respect the Thanks. grind. You're very good at what you do, too, but uh, you, you put the effort in and so many avenues, and it's, it's kind of a wonderful thing. Uh, before we get into it, I just yeah. want to ask you, how you doing? You know, you're in New York, and I know that the age of, of COVID having conquered New York is kind of coming to a close, but uh, it's still a present yeah. thing. How are you? I'm doing okay, um, for whatever okay means during this time period. Um, mentally, I'm, you know, I, it's pretty dynamic. You know, I, I have my moments, but I, you know, climb out of it, whatever. And health-wise, I'm, I'm great, so that's a good thing. I think that's very important during this time. Yeah, it's sickness, beautiful. So I'm doing okay. Good, I'm glad so to I'm hear it. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, so I, I personally listen to a lot of podcasts, and a lot of those podcasters are out of N NYC. And they've all been terribly yeah. depressed for months, so I know that there's kind of a mood for creatives in New York because, you know, for a lot of people, you, you can't work. So, of course, your mood is going to be in a certain place. But amazingly, yeah. you have yeah, kept yeah, yourself yeah. busy through a lot of this, so it's very impressive. Yeah, and, and the thing about it, thank you, thank you. I've, I've kept myself busy, you know. Um, well, maybe for... As far as appearance sake is concerned, I've I've been busy, but you know I do have many days to where sometimes I do absolutely nothing, and uh, that's kind of annoying. But for the most part, I, I I do have enough things on my list that I can be doing. Um, that's that's uh, some kind of productivity. So it's awesome, man. That's awesome. Keep the juices flowing. I, I'm sure that even in the downtime, you're writing, which is a lot. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to be that guy, but uh, in my downtime, yeah. I'm like, man, I, I should be writing. I'm gonna go eat this bowl of cereal and watch some anime. Corey, let me yep. ask you, where did it all start for you as a creative? I don't want to sound generic, but I think I was always creative, even as a kid. 
Um, did you do like uh, theater in high school or? Actually, yeah, I, I did theater in high school, man. Um, even before then, when I was, of course, a kid, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I used to, I was in a comic book, so I used to um, always have comics and cartoons and stuff like that. But we wasn't really, I, I didn't have a family to where I was able to get all the toys that I really wanted all the time. So mm -hmm. I would cut up my comic books and <gasps> and, make, and, and make dolls. <laughs> I, I was pretty much, I had paper superheroes all over the place. You know what I'm saying? That that kind of, that I would keep in my pocket. And I would just have them around and make up stories and stuff like that for the most part. And then when I was in high school, uh, moved to Virginia, and then I was part of uh, Center for the Arts in high school, Theater 4. And so... Um, oh, nice. Yep. And so that's what kind of cultivated that, uh, you know, just the whole acting and the whole physical creativity part of the theater. That's great. Um, so you have pretty consistently had an outlet for your uh, creative energies. Yeah, yeah, and and that's a good way to put it—a creative outlet. Yeah, and and you know that outlet changed over time. Um, of course, you know as I was introduced to different forms of art and different you know creative outlets and what whatever mediums came to play. So yeah, I, I for the most part, honestly, I think I just enjoy the act of creating. That's my thing, and that's that's. If I'm not careful, well, I shouldn't say not careful, but for the most part, that is my vice and that's my drug in a way. Mm -hmm. Like I can, I can get lost in that, in that, in that act of creating. Yeah, I do and, fully understand that feeling. Yeah, I don't indulge in it as much as I used to, but back in the days when I was uh, writing stand-up, I would write something new pretty much every time I hit the stage, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I had a wealth of disposable comedy. Some of it was great, most of it was trash, but I was always I was always hustling. I was always inspired back then. I'm not inspired like that now. You've kept your inspiration, which is also like I said really cool. Yeah. Uh at what point did you get into stand up? I got into stand up after I got divorced. I was married for we was together for 7 years. Mm -hmm. Um then we was divorced and then I went through like a funk for like probably a good eight months like life is over um i had a i had a recording studio actually in richmond i was doing recordings and then i just kind of dropped that ball and did absolutely nothing and then i got to the point to where depression was like so hard man and um i needed i said i need a pick me up <laughs> to be honest this is what i did for stand-up i said i need a pick me up i'm going to try stand-up comedy uh, the only thing I knew about stand-up comedy was what I seen on television. I didn't know any real comedians. I don't even think I've been to a well. I have been to a live stand-up show. It was, it was seeing Cosby a couple of times, mm -hmm. but I said, you know, I'm gonna try stand-up comedy. And so, what I did was I rented the Henrico Theater. Um, Look at you! Look at the yeah. big balls on court. <laughs> and, and, and that's what it was. You know what I'm saying? It was. Big balls and a lot of naivety, man. I, I rented the Hierarchical Theater and sold tickets. I sold probably 230 tickets. And mm. that was my first show. I was the only person on the show. And I honestly, I did over, I entertained the crowd for over two hours. 
That is madness. That is, uh, were you, were you, um, riffing? Were you doing an improv or did you actually have a, a set for that, uh, for that set? I, had, I actually had a set, man. And I was working on the set for about, it's going to sound really crazy, but for a couple months, uh, I was working on the set for a couple months. And for the most part, it, it was probably more so funny stories, like, because I really didn't have the concept of how to write a joke. But I just knew how to tell a funny story at the time. Yeah. I mean, anecdotes yeah. can can really yeah. bring in. A, I mean, that's most of what Richard Pryor did was tell anecdotes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So there's a place for was, it. That was the entire show, and and like when I was up there, and my mom was like, okay, I'm gonna do an hour show and send them home, and then time ran away from me, and in my mind, I was just thinking. I gotta give him 15 more minutes, man. I gotta give him 15 more minutes. And like, oh my god, like I just did that. <laughs> I gotta do. I had no idea what the time was. I just didn't know I was on stage that long. And then somebody came to the side and was just like, hey, 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 we gotta close, man. We gotta close. And did you have a like, climax for your show under those circumstances, or were you just like, all right, I'm done? No, um, I, I knew I had a story that I wanted to end with, and then so that's when the person came to the side of the curtain and was just like, hey, 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 we gotta go. I was like, oh, shoot, okay. So then I just went to my last story, and that was it. And then after that show, uh, I believe Omari Brown was in the crowd. And I think I knew Omari. I didn't really know him. I just knew of him through a mutual friend. He just happened to come to the show. And, he's, and you know, me and him started talking, and then he was like, yo, like, that was funny. He said, you should come to the, the Richmond Funny Bone. They have a writing session. Um, on Saturdays, and then so I was like, "All right, cool, cool." And then so me and Omar became friends. And then uh, I went to the Funny Bone, and that's when I knew that. That's when I found out I knew nothing about comedy. <laughs> and and I and then and and that whole first show was a miracle that I even got through it. It's a miracle that it happened, and I have not done anything like that since. Oh, I've eaten a turd at the Funny Bone. I have eaten a big old turd at the. Uh, they've told me beforehand too. Uh, it's the same as doing road comedy. Like I was, you know, cutting my teeth doing comedy for these VCU college kids, and they were yeah. down for what I was selling, which is not for everybody. <laughs> and uh, yeah, going around the country, I learned that really quickly. Yeah, you uh, like basically, I learned every time I hit the stage, whether I had a a good set or a bad one. Yeah, I don't really know much about comedy, huh? Yeah, 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 and 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 that's exactly how. Well, the show was great. The show, like everything, hit. Everything was great, but that was it. Like you know, and then that's when I started. I, uh, you know, I think I seen. I started watching more videos of stand up comedy, and then I seen somebody bomb on a video, and then and then I was, oh my god, like. But bombing is the thing, and then, you know that's when everything started to hit me. And I was, oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and you know, and, and, and just trying to put together like, um, you know, like officially that first five minute set. Um, that's when I really started my journey in stand up comedy. And yeah. So at what point in that journey did you think I am all in on being a creative professionally? Like you were, at what point were you like, this is what I do now? As far as stand up? No, as, as far as everything. Oh, um, well, that, well, the, the creative part happened 
before stand up, you know, I, I always knew I, I wanted to make a living from the arts. And I think the, that step started when I went to the recording workshop in Ohio. I went to school in Ohio for audio engineering. And so that's where I, I made the step to make a living from entertainment. And so I was going to be a recording engineer. And when I came back to Richmond after studying and, you know, after graduating, I would say, I wanted to open up a recording studio and then open up a recording studio in Richmond, Virginia. And then so I just started, I was the engineer. Uh, people would come and do recordings. And that's what I did for maybe four years or so. Hey, let me ask you something kind of tangential. When you're, people are just renting space and they're, they're renting your abilities or whatever, were there many times where you listen to somebody and it was like, uh, your album is bad. This is bad. All the time. All the time. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> that happened often and it, it, it is it's amazing you know like how much how many people really think that their talent is on par with professionals and that's a good and a bad thing you know like if i want to be esoteric about it you know i, I could say that it's dated but you know it, it, if i'm not feeling it you know like there's a lot of bad artists out there um, yeah i would imagine like the feeling of doing your job as the engineer and listening to somebody and thinking, I can't save this. Yeah. Like it's my job to save this and I, I can't save this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and honestly, like I, I'm pretty sure I've had those moments to where there was something just so bad. Like even the, the final product was just unreceivable. Like I don't, I'm pretty sure I had them, but thankfully it wasn't that many because they just love to hear that project. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the, that, I don't want to say bad artist, but uh, that artist was just so happy to have completed that project that they were just happy to have that recording. In their hands. In, in their hands and that they could do whatever they want. And I, I don't, I think SoundCloud may have been a thing like around that time. It, it, it was, it was a while ago. A lot of that is is what life's about, uh, expressing yourself, yeah. getting that one opportunity to express yourself. Like uh, with stand-up, I told everybody that who was always interested, or I always told everybody who was interested, everybody has at least one killer set in them. Yeah. Just from their life experience, something that they're passionate about to deliver uh, in a relatable way on stage where you feel that, that pain or that pleasure or whatever that's going to make somebody mm -hmm. laugh. But, you know, not everybody gets that out of themselves yeah so, yeah and you know and, and yeah i think that's uh that's the amazing thing man that i really do love artists and and i i to me you know i, I think i can be very forgiving like when it comes to like the art in general um because it, it's pretty much just like a manner a matter of perception as well you know like i do think everybody has some kind of creativity in them whether or not they all express it through a traditional means of art, I think it comes out some type of way, you know, whether like you could be a really good accounting accountant, you know what I'm saying, and you're ex expressing that creative way of moving numbers around and stuff mm -hmm. like that or what, whatever. Um, but yeah, man, and but just stand-up wise, I, I just love the art, man, and how there's so many different voices out there and people are just trying to piece together that little set and the so many walks of life, you know, like 
that you come across in stand up and, and just different points of views and, and even brilliant people, man, like so many intelligent people like doing stand up. Even like an open mic circuit, you know what I'm saying, that that will probably never ever get like the light of day, you know what I'm saying, or never see their name of lights or anything like that. You Maybe. know what I found on the circuit? Uh, I found this out fairly early because I, I didn't know because I hadn't been involved in the arts. But um, what I found is, and this might cut across all art, mm-hmm. but uh, my experience of it was in stand-up specifically. The uh, the brightest lights, the people that are most brilliant on stage, usually burn out really quickly. They, they can't okay. take criticism. They're very sensitive. It, it's part of what helps them be so brilliant or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, in those those early years, there were guys who I worked with who were incredible, and everybody told them they were incredible. But uh, when they got out there to a a greater world, a larger venue, some of them it was sensitivity, like "oh, I can't take this criticism in the like, the larger world." Some of them straight up ego that uh, they were like, "You know what? I'm brilliant. F you. I'm not gonna play your game." And they just you know dropped out. But uh, to go the long haul, you got to be some kind of special. Yeah. Like a different kind of special. You can't just be brilliant. Mm-hmm. You have to have a uh, a, a good foundation, a, a good head on your shoulders. I don't know. How, how would the old people describe it? But, uh, yeah, you, you, you have to have something beyond your brilliance to go the long term. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And, like, um, yeah, um, it, I think also it takes – you being able to, well, I will say this, like there pretty much is more than one way to make it. Everybody makes it, you know what I'm saying? However path they, there is not one direct route to that successful comedy career. But one of the things that I have noticed is that a lot of the headliners, the big names, they do things in a certain way. Like, you know, when when I first started, one of the things that a lot of comics didn't do was they did not write out the material and a lot of them did not perfect the material that they had. Mm-hmm. Like, they always wanted new material, you know. Um, they wanted to stay fresh, you know what I'm saying? They wanted to stay relevant, you know. And that really cut short the potential of the jokes that they had, you know what I'm saying? Because when a joke got good and funny, like, you know, it got a couple laughs at the open mic, they bitched it, you know what I'm saying? To Yeah, you have to spend time and... trimming the fat and perfecting yeah, the timing yeah, of the yeah. delivery. Yeah, and and, 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 and and it's easy to, I don't know, well, I can't say forget because they probably never knew, but it's, it's uh, a thing to accept that, hey, like in order to really, in order to get to this professional level that that, you, that your favorite comedians are on, uh, you have to perfect that crap. You have to perfect that joke. You have to have a block of material that you know works. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and every time in every situation. Every time, every situation. Yeah, take it to yeah. that Chris Rock level where Chris Rock is like, I take my sets to the nursing homes, and once they, uh, the old people left, and I know... Yeah. I've got something exactly. special. Exactly, man. You know, and, and yeah, so, you know, a lot of people don't really. So I, I I think that along with talent, it comes in studying your art form. Yeah, so that's a, a, a big thing, too. Definitely, definitely. Uh, speaking of art form and going back to uh, your skill as an audio engineer, how mm-hmm. easy did that make it to uh, jump into podcasting? Because 
I think Off the Pad may be the show that actually got me into listening to podcasting. Um, okay. There's another one that might be the one, but I, I think it, it may be yours to try to find okay. and support that show. I think, and now podcasts are my um, main form of entertainment, actually. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, well, it was easy. Um, one, I was I, I was already into you know cutting up audio and putting stuff together and making creative presentations with sound. And so, like, the podcast thing was pretty much like a mad experiment in a way. You know, it was just like, hey, you're like, okay. And and, and also, too, like, of course, anybody listening, like, if you look at off the, the, the progression of Off the Pad, like, each season got dynamically better. You know, it was just, you know, I feel like the first season, it, just me and Jai, we were just talking heads. You know what I'm saying? And we talked for an hour. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's all we did was just talk. We ran long conversations may not have even been entertaining or funny the whole time. It was just me and him talking. And then like the next season, hey, let's throw in some some interludes and da 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 yeah, between sudden let's throw in interludes and let's bring in an electronic lady to announce the topic <laughs> so we don't have to do it. And, All right, cool, cool, cool. And then you know we had let's put on the uh uh, a bumper. Let's you know. Let's have this beginning, an intro, like it's a real show, and you know, and segment it out, and add some sound effects, and then it just turns to like this big entertaining thing, and, and it's yeah, it became yeah. something that was a lot of fun. It's still a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you I, know, I, and you I, and Jaye have uh, have great chemistry together. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, that that just happened alone. Like, uh, and, and and what's funny is me and Jaye. I don't even know how we became friends, but I know I know he did stand up, but I I, I didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> I did not like Zaye Toler, man. Like I just thought he was arrogant. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, he was funny, but I mean, you know, how does this dude like, not know what mustard greens are? <laughs> <laughs> and a whole lot of other stuff. You know like, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and like if you listen, like if you listen to our podcast, like we we are total dichotomous when it comes to to, to interest, you know what I'm saying? It's just like we are not interested in the same things at all, which makes a good show. Yeah, that know, that, like, that does make a good show. Yeah, yeah. Like it sets up no a certain tension. Exactly, and I have no idea what he's talking about half the time, and 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 and, and, yeah, and that just just works, man. We just hung out a couple times, maybe after a set, and then we just started talking, and then you know, hey, you you know what? You want to try doing a podcast? He was just like. What's the podcast? I'm like, come on, man! You don't know what a podcast is. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's different. In my mind, I can I can hear that interaction right now. Exactly. I can hear that interaction 100. percent Yeah. And like for him, it's just like, you know, I, I you may not know, you you may not have listened to a podcast, but you got to know what a podcast is at least. And he was just like, nah, I don't know what it is. That's like, white oh, people man. stuff. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or not even that, like, man. They don't. That's science fiction stuff you talk about. <laughs> But yeah, and then so you know, we just kind of worked that out, and then you know, off the pad became a thing, and you know, I love it. Season four is of, well, my favorite season probably. But anyway, yeah, that's um a pretty awesome ongoing endeavor, and I'm glad that you gents were able to form that together. What about the the podcast you just started? Is that going to be an ongoing thing, or? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Mad Sound Minds is what I'm doing now. I'm still trying to flesh out the format of that show. I know I want it to be something not just, well, maybe not even comedy, but just something, an outlet for me to kind of experiment with 
anecdotes and parables in a creative way and still hopefully say something that can help somebody, I believe, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, it's, and I don't want it to be like a self-help podcast thing because it's not that, you know, it's, it's just, you know, hey, here's some information that hopefully will enrich your life or challenge the way you think about something within a 30-minute time scope, 15, 30 minutes. So that's what that podcast is. And, you know, right now, you know. Yeah, here's some knowledge that I'm giving you so that maybe you can help yourself almost like a self-help podcast. Okay. Yeah. Don't. It's a self help podcast, but don't call it a self help podcast. It's all, man. You you could take any genre of podcasting into any direction that you want to. So even if it's labeled in you know whatever way it is, the the conversation can be anything. That's the uh, the whole uh, paradigm of this show. So. Okay. Okay. No. Yeah. You know. It's it's. But it's always good. You know. To have like an idea. Mm Hmm how you want your podcast to be like, you know, because that, you know, I, if I just wanted a podcast that, you know, Hey, we're just going to just talk job. Then that's what the podcast is going to be about. You know, I, I just don't want to confuse listeners like, Oh man, like this was really good. The last two weeks he talked about meditation and now he's talking about soup. Like, <laughs> I don't understand what's going on with this podcast. I already have a soup podcast. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, um, Speaking of of things that are of uh, in a positive orientation, tell me about the Manchild Project. The Manchild Project is this: the Manchild Project is pretty much a platform that is for Black men to share their voices, and voices meaning, however that voice is, we want to put a spotlight that Black is not in one particular way. Blackness is not a monolith. Yeah. There we go. Blackness is not a monolith. There are so many different expressions of black, and there are so many different. It's a tree with many branches. It is. It's a black tree with many branches. It's a black tree with many branches, and 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 also too, just the climate of today is just kind of a way to encourage people to realize that that they're excellent and that they're important and that they are a vital part of the culture and, and, or, or even the world, you know, you know, like, like you don't have to, to be an exceptional sports player to be relevant in black culture. You don't have to be a rapper to be relevant in black culture. You don't have to, to drive a nice whip to be relevant in black culture. Like you, you don't have to be an entrepreneur or, or, or be a baller in order to be relevant in black culture. So that's what we're trying to remind people. Like, yeah. yo, like, it's 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 not that. You know, that's, unfortunately, those are the things that, that we pay attention to, you know, we gravitate to, but it's so much more. And, and, and I feel that it will really help us, for us to recognize that and acknowledge those things more, that there's a guy named Tandy, you know what I'm saying? who was part of our black culture, guys. You know what I'm saying? He's intelligent. He watches anime. You know what I'm saying? Like, he listens to whatever music he listens to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he's a master <laughs> of the English language. 
He is a part of black culture, you know what I'm saying? And he's just as relevant as a Rick Ross, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and also it, it helps to widen, well, I wouldn't say widen the scope, but the scope is already widened, but it, it helps to recognize that wide scope of the potential that that you can be, you know, like growing up as a black child, I, I I had thankfully I had good examples in front of me who weren't superstars. You know what I'm saying? Like I, mm-hmm. I have, uh, I'm honestly I'm probably most of my family is military and education and law enforcement. You, yeah, your mother was a police officer, right? Mother's a police officer, brother's a police officer. I got aunts and uncles that are that are, are law enforcement. Um, and I thought I was going to go into law enforcement, but the, f- I just couldn't do it. The furthest I went was I was a security guard at a bank of America. That was, a f- that was my, my law enforcement con- contribution. What was your, um, your stumbling block? I had a buddy who tried to go into law enforcement and then he found, he found that it wasn't for him because the wheels of justice move very slowly and mm-hmm. there's some really terrible stuff out there. So if you go into yeah. law enforcement just wanting to uh, help people in an idealistic way, then you may mm-hmm. get frustrated very quickly. That was his stumbling block. Uh, yeah. What did you find was was yours? Well, one, I was just a security guard. So I really, the laws of justice pretty much started with whatever <laughs> I wrote down on, on, on my little notepad. Like, uh, I mean, as far as going into uh, into uh, the, the official yeah. police department law enforcement. Like I, if anything, like I, I, I was the government snitch. You know what I'm saying? Like if anything, like that was my job. You just snitch to the police if you see something like that. That was my extent. <laughs> Badge and a flashlight, man. Like man, it goes goes a long way. And then I was doing immigration. Like get this gun. You know what I'm saying? But it, it, it to me, it, it it just was a lot of nights of doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? All I did was sit, walk around. And having to answer to people who didn't feel I did an adequate job of watching their door, you know, and you didn't sign a paper, yeah, but I have a, a complete report here. Like, you know, it's it's just weird stuff. And, and I was just like, you know what? I'm not creating anything. I just felt stagnant. You're like, I'm a um, tall black man. That's most of what you want from me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm... I'm the suspect. Like I have to word this properly, you know what I'm saying? Because the police will come looking for me. You know, it's just yeah. I, I just felt that I needed to be doing something creative, and then the job was cool because it paid well, and that's what helped me build up something so that I could open up the recording studio. And then once the recording studio got underway, I left that job as the security guy, and then that's when I actually started going full time into making my talents my income. So when you stopped uh, running the recording studio, did you keep all your equipment or did you have to sell a bunch of stuff off? That's just, I'm just curious. No, no. I, um, I had, a, I had a lot of my equipment still in there and I had a couple people, you know, did, like they wanted some mixing board and stuff like that. So I, I actually gave some away, you know, to my real close friends, mm-hmm. sold some stuff, but I, I kept, I think the only thing I kept was some of my microphones, wires, um, computer, of course, and maybe one Tascam mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that was oh and yeah and and the M1 keyboard which was a classic keyboard and I just kind of kept that but other than that everything else just kind of get got rid of nice how is it going with the madman tail you still on a regular release schedule or well when yeah I, and whatever a regular release schedule is for this comic book stuff like it, it it's not it's definitely not monthly um that's for sure so I'll talk about that when I had the idea for a madman tail it's they all started out as screenplays so you know I, I was writing out these stories screenplay wise and I was at the time in a position to where I was able to pitch some stuff and then they really wasn't getting the attention that I wanted to and I felt that well I think the story is kind of relevant I kind of wanted to be executed and produced in some form or another. So, well, since this film thing is taking a long, a lot longer than I thought, what if I put it into a comic book? That way, my story gets out and it's done. And then, so it, it was a way to kind of birth these babies. You know what I'm saying? So that's how the actual Matt Mantell came along. What have you um, learned about? scripting a comic book versus uh writing a screenplay in the time that you've been writing this the format is different um of course i i really don't know like it's it's kind of the the same elements you know the format is different but i i I think it was just weird getting into the comic book production that was not what i expected the first issue and you know, and and coming up with artists and meeting artists and stuff like that, and coming up with a team of people, that was kind of challenging. Um, because in my mind, I had no idea it took that much work to produce a comic. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of people that, involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the guy was saying, yeah, you need a letterer, you need an editor, you need a guy that does the pencils, you need a guy that does the inks, you need a guy, you know, saying that he he got to add the color after the inks. And I was like, wait, what? You know, so are you serious? <laughs> and then it was like, yeah, man. And then so this is what I this is what I had in mind. I, I had an artist. He um he he said he can draw. I said, cool. Here you go. Just uh his thirty pages, or whatever. Uh, finish it up. I'll see you in two weeks. He's like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> yeah, like it's two weeks. Just draw some pictures. You know what I'm saying? I'll see you in two weeks. He's like, nah, man, like I can't do that. And you know, I'm like, what you mean? And he was like, man, it's gonna take a while, man. And you know, just do. I had um, I, I talked to a professional artist, and he was just like, dude, like a, a top guy at at Marvel Comics, like on on his best week, he may be able to pump out three pages, complete three pages a week. Mm-hmm. Like like from pencil to inks to color and, and, and maybe three. And I was just like, what? And I was just like, oh man. So it was like, wah, wah, wah. And then so, you know, <laughs> that first issue, man, like it took months like to get out because the guy, he had issues with his, 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 his equipment and stuff and you know just trying to I, I couldn't find a letterer so i was just like all right you know so now i had to learn how to letter um so that that came about whatever see the story you're telling cool. is the the story of every creative endeavor that uh so yeah. far i have undertaken I'm like yeah i can do that uh when Absolutely. i started my youtube channel 
and I cranked uh-huh. out my first video, it probably took me 36 to 48 hours all together to, uh, to produce that video. I had no idea. I had no idea what the editing was going to entail. I had no idea. And, uh, some of it was, you know, some of it was being inexperienced, but a lot of it is just the work. It's just the work of cranking out a product. And the product itself was not awesome. It was interesting, uh, which is probably what I was going for, but it wasn't awesome, but it still took all that time from start to finish project. Okay. And the same is true for podcasting. I started podcasting because I was like, uh, I want to do something creative, but this should be uh, less time intensive than uh, the video editing was. It's not. Yeah. It's not less time intensive. It's <laughs> as time intensive as the video editing was. So, uh, you know, every creative endeavor, you, you never know until you get your, your hands in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 and also, too, like, uh, you, you recognize, you, you know how, like, you watch a movie and, and you see all these credits. Anyway, there's no way in the world it took all those people to make this one movie that mm-hmm. only starred six people. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It is. It is just like wow. Like when I was finally on set, I was just like, "There is so many people here." Yeah, it's crazy. It How long so is your? Um, because I'm I'm sure it's fairly long. Your uh, your acting resume. Like, how many things have you played a cop on at this point? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's probably. I played the cop. I know for sure six times, and <laughs> for like. Well, six different shows. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, two of them was was pretty much just background, and uh, you know, the other, thankfully, other four times was kind of featured work, so that was cool. But uh, Corey got to be been... like, eat your fruit cup. It's, it's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been cool. Yeah, uh, and I would like to. Well, actually, I'm getting more on the production side of that, so I'm behind the scenes stuff instead of in front of of the screen so i'm working Thanks, on because you want to be in the writer's room right yeah, absolutely 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 and also you know eventually of course one day a director's chair that would be nice um but yeah but as long as i'm writing i would definitely am looking forward to that yeah that's awesome yeah that's awesome uh directing is also something that is a crazy amount of work um and that's something i always knew was a crazy amount of work but as i started uh just devouring media about the production of, of movies, man, I would not want to, uh, like, I would love to make a movie, but I wouldn't want to be a director because the amount of effort that it takes to, uh, make people or get people to work together in that way. Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't have the social energy for it. I couldn't manage that many people in that way every day. Yes. It's, it's, you know, and you know, just to, actually meeting a, a lot of people and seeing how they maneuver. You've got to like, you've got to convince these people to take your vision and uh, make it, make it manifest. And it's, it's crazy to me that you can move people in that fashion to take yeah. your idea and then have something uh, beautiful produced from it that didn't come directly from your hands because no one person could make this, Three hundred billion dollar yeah. movie, but no one person can make this this hundred thousand dollar movie. It takes a takes a a village. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it takes a really good village. And one of the things you know, like like the director is a real tough job, but there's a lot of people under the director that 
that that a lot of people don't even know put in just as much hard work and organization that the director um, gets the credit for. You know, like there's been a lot of days to where a lot of the work is done before you even get to set. You know what I'm saying? That work to set stuff up, puts the team together maybe. Um, but there's a, a, the assistant director who is, man, like he does just as much work as the director even more. Like mm-hmm. like there was a couple times on set, uh, I think it was like um, one that I barely remember was Orange the New Black. Um, director came in, he, you know, sitting down, he's coming over the script. The guy that was running around the set the most was the assistant director. He was setting up the shots. He was um, putting the camera guys in place, stuff like that. Da da da. Director came down, sat down. All right, action. Nope. Do it again. Action. All right. <laughs> Checking the gate. Moving on. And then he left. And then the assistant director is <laughs> back there, you know, just in the sound set again and just kind of moving stuff around. All right, we're going to have this. Da, 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 da. All right, all right, we're sending such, we're sending such, we're sending such. You know, where's your, oh, man, where's the script supervisor? Da, da, da. And they're organizing stuff. And the director's sitting down just drinking a cup of coffee. You know, and then, like, uh, he's just talking to whoever. And then, all right, ready? He comes, sits in this chair. Action! Cut! <laughs> Do it again. Action! Checking the gates. All right, moving on. You know, this, 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 this guy's doing probably absolutely nothing. This this dude is running the show. This assistant director, man. So, but you know, and and, and you learn, you know, that there's a whole bunch of stuff the director does, of course. I, just, that, I think it's it, awesome. It, it I think it's awesome that you uh, are paying attention to that stuff too. Oh like yeah, the, uh, I'm, I'm paying attention to everybody's job, man. You know, because you know it's like um, I'm, I'm learning the craft. You know, what I'm saying like I'm a writer. But you know, well, like over, overall, like I definitely, I believe I'm a storyteller, and you know, I, I like writing because I can get my stories down, and I want to have an audience to tell them, you know, and I want to get into film, so I'm just paying attention to the different jobs and stuff like that to see how things run, so that I can kind of get an understanding of how to put a team together. Because right now, I don't have time to like start working set as a coffee runner. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I'm too far along in life that it's going to be another 50 years for me to start as a coffee runner to end up directing my first film. You know what I'm saying? Like, to go through those steps. So, all right, I didn't pay attention to everybody. Yeah, I don't even know that, that, that society works that way anymore. I think it's all based on knowing people and glad-handing the right folks. And that's exactly what it is now. Exactly. Paying your dues is is a whole separate thing, but I think that less and less is that the case for a lot of things. It's 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 about making those connections first. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's it's yeah 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 yeah. Um, you know, like like we said earlier, like there's no, I guess, direct way. There's no singular way to get to that goal. But it it I think when you people pay their dues in in different ways. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, it's so many different ways that you, you can pay those dudes and learn the craft. You know, I think you learn the craft more when you go through those bottom levels and stuff like that. But even when you get to that point of, a, I don't want to say ex, uh, achievement, but um, to when you're quote unquote ready, you have the knowledge under your belt. It's still, you, people have to know what you're capable of. You know what I'm saying? So you know how they say uh, a lot of it is who you know. I, th- I think it's more so who knows what you can do. Yeah, no, 
you you gotta <clears throat> you have to keep that in mind when you do everything. Who knows what you can do? You yeah. always have to be presenting that uh, that best face, especially as a performer, because you never know what your shot's going to be. Yeah, and when you could miss it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that was pretty much a hard lesson for me to learn, like in in life in general, you know, because naturally. I'm not an in-your-face guy, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not one to to walk up on people. Say, hey, I can do this and I can do that and give me a shot. It's just kind of like, um, and I think that's one reason why it, it took a minute for me to get a lot of stand-up stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because I I wasn't talking to the club manager. I wasn't sending out emails. You know what I'm saying? And then once a manager actually told me, he was like, "Yo, Corey, if you want to come to the club, you." gotta let me know that you want to come to the club i'm just assuming i you know there's so many comics out there i can't assume that Corey wants to come to the club you know what i'm saying I, I i don't know if you're working or not you know what i'm saying you have to let me know that you're interested in coming to this club and then i was like yeah that kind of makes sense so <laughs> and then that's when i just started sending emails out to every single comedy club in the world like hey da 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 and then that's when things started picking up so yeah you gotta let people know what you want. So obviously, you're you're probably not touring right now, but were you just doing the uh, East Coast circuit, or were you all over in the, in the recent over. past? I was all over, um, East West Coast. And uh, along those same lines, as as uh, as your interest in moving to um, grander scale of entertainment uh, grows, are you imagining that you'll move to the West Coast at some point, or are you? Uh, happy New York. Um, I, I I'm happy in New York from New York, so I would really love to stay in New York. I, of course, I would only move to LA if a job opportunity requires me to do so. But I, I would love just be able to stay in New York. Yeah, I guess you have to go where your where your passions take you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, wherever it makes room is fine. You know, and. And honestly, like, you know, I, I think it's it's probably won't even be about my comfort. It's more so I'm in the space now. You know, I think we talked earlier about, you know, like sometimes I put my creative needs in front of my own. So it's just mm-hmm. like, hey, if, if, if L.A. is saying that they can birth this creative baby, then all right, I'll move to L.A. Hey, you can live here, but you're gonna live in a box. All right, cool. Well, that, <laughs> yeah, the that, the curse of those wins—that's the curse of a true artist. Yes, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm living in a box, but this is <laughs> is getting made. You know, it's cool. You know, and I'll be fine with that. Corey, I have tremendously enjoyed this conversation, um, and it's been inspiring. Actually, it makes me want to sit down. Uh, and create something. I probably won't. I'll probably go eat a sandwich and watch some anime, but I'll be thinking about <laughs> creation uh, in that period of time. Uh, before you get out of here, is there anything that you would like to directly promote? Uh, any place you'd like people to, to hit you up at if they want to get with you? Anything like that? Um, I would like to say you can just go to my website, coreymarshall.com. coreymarshall.com. Uh, my projects are on there, and also information about the Manchester project is on there as well. That's probably the only thing I'll promote at this time. Um, you know, this is a great podcast. Keep supporting um, this podcast as well. Oh, thank you, thank you very much, Corey. Uh, yeah, and to everybody out there, uh, yeah, if you want to hit me up, talk to me about Corey, or find out more information about Corey, you can uh, hit me up 
at uh, janky old broke hobo spider-man at jonathan blade on twitter uh, i'm out there and then you know my handle is jonathan blade is is everywhere this podcast is everywhere got the youtube channel jonathan blade one there's nothing new on there but i've got stuff on there so it's something all right everybody thanks for listening <laughs>